0: John Clayton,
1: powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios,
0: streaming live at 710sports.com, on demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton.
2: Well, the big news, of course, uh, is that maybe there is some hope on the horizon for the defensive line. <clears throat> Damon Snacks Harrison is going to be visiting Seattle next week. Green Bay's interested, you know, they got Kenny Clark hurt right now, and Cincinnati's interested, you know, they've got injuries on the defensive line, but the fact that uh, Damon's coming here first has got to be a good sign, we'll get into that as we get into the five biggest stories of the day.
3: Number one. What's going to happen this week, uh, this is an opportunity f- uh, for Jordan Brooks to start, you know, and so uh, we'll, we'll let you see how that works out. But uh, he is going to take take the opportunity to step up and be part of the, uh, you know, the, the three-linebacker situation, so we're looking forward to it.
4: He worked mostly at will. During training camp, do you intend to flop KJ because of his experience there and have Jordan stay at will?
3: We'll let you see what's going on at game time, if you don't mind. Well, Pete's going to be a little quiet as far as how they're going to
2: use uh, Jordan Brooks, but it looks to me like he'll end up being the weak side linebacker, and K.J. Wright moves over to the strong side. You know, Cody Barton, of course, being an alternate uh, you know, when needed to play either side of the field, so they have enough going on right now. They still have Shaquem Griffin. That's why it was probably wise that they ended up keeping seven linebackers, so they that- don't really have to go outside although you kind of wonder it's like okay uh you still need some kind of a pass rusher i guess there's a chance that brooks could put his hand on the ground and rush a little bit from the leo position Uh, i know another guy that's starting to make his rounds right now jabal Sheard, who had been in indianapolis last year he's in detroit today for a visit you know he's maybe more of a five technique but you know maybe he can be added now that bruce urban's on the injured reserve list at least for the end of the season so i think that uh They should be fine, Brooks. You know, it keeps giving them the speed that they want because they want to continue to have speed and violence and all those different things on the defense. So that's going to be one to kind of follow. Pete also mentioned that DeAndre Walker, who they picked up from the Tennessee Titans, a draft choice. He can come in there, maybe be a consideration for the Sam, with uh, Urban gone. He's uh, a guy that uh, was. You know, pretty well-respected draft choice, <clears throat> just didn't work out for him. I guess you could say in Tennessee, but of course you can understand why. You know, they've already had two outside linebackers drafted the last couple years, pretty high in the draft. You know, they end up signing Vic Beasley, then they get Jadeveon Clowney. So uh, Walker is a consideration to go, and of course, uh, you know, we'll see where Shaquem Griffin's going to be because you know he might be on the active roster pretty soon. But uh, overall, I think that uh, the team's still in good shape at linebacker, in a little bit of a much weaker position at defensive line and again Snacks Harrison I think could help out as far as a defensive tackle but again that uh, Leo position now getting very very thin particularly not knowing when Daryl Taylor is going to be able to come back You know, he's still on the PUP list and is supposed to be there for six weeks but of course you know, he probably is going to be out there longer because he's a little slow in coming back but overall Uh, situation right now where everybody's dealing with uh, injuries. Seahawks had a long injury list yesterday of guys not practicing. We'll see how that cleans up today, but uh, again, Jordan Brooks getting his first start, and you know, it's it's tough for rookies with no offseason program to come in there and start, but They've already had one success so far. Damian Lewis, according to Pro Football Focus, is one of the highest-rated uh, rookies out there performing, You know, non-quarterback uh, rookies out there. In fact, I think they had him like second or third, and that's just not on the offensive line. It's overall. So Damian's, Damian's off to a good start. Seahawks off to a good start. And that's where it goes as they take on the Dallas Cowboys
0: number two the one-two pitch swing and a miss for strike three and the ball game is over the mariners hang on and win it three to two over the astros this evening and the mariners win the series two games to one harano really had to work for it but he picks up his fourth save of the year and the win goes to nick margaviches who was outstanding
2: So the Mariners still in the pennant race to a degree. Now, of course, what they have to worry about is that uh, the Astros, with a 500 record, takes on Texas today. And, of course, the Mariners are off today. But if they end up uh, winning that game... Houston, then of course that eliminates them because the magic number is one, but I think what would be uh, good for the uh, Mariners is that if, you know, let's say the Houston loses, obviously that's going to be good for the Mariners, but if uh, all of a sudden uh, they can at least get one or two games against the Oakland A's in this four-game series that uh, down in Oakland and just, you know, stay in, in that pennant race and can still keep that edge going as far as not being eliminated. But a lot of good things going on. Uh, Margavich was able to get six shutout innings. That was encouraging. This was the last home game. And, you know, Mariners with a pretty good record compared to what everybody thought it was going to be. They're 25-31. and Got a little tense in the ninth inning when Yoshi uh, Hirano gave up runs, uh, but ended up striking out Jose Altuve, and he gets his four saves. So now, four-game series starts with Friday uh, with the Mariners going up against the A's. They have a doubleheader at one point, which is supposed to be a home game, and then three regular games against that. So uh, four games in three Days and that wraps
3: up the regular season. Number three. Well, we're always we're always competing to find some you know some help in all areas and and uh, so we're we're doing that. But we have we have to generate you know our rush. It really had we just converted the sacks that we had available that we had our hands on the quarterback last week. We'd have had five sacks. Okay, say we missed one. We had four sacks. We we'd be thinking oh that's a nice pass rush day because we are around the quarterback never as much as you want and you hope for but. uh, we need to finish our rushes, you know. I mean, I don't know why we're leaning on our on the safety so much, other than the fact that he's a really good football player. But he he had two other sacks in his hands, you know, last week. And you know, we we need to convert and finish and, and finish the play.
2: Yeah, even though the numbers may not bear it out, and certainly the passing yards against doesn't bear a lot of things out, uh, Mariners, I, I, the Seahawks, I think, do have a much better pass rush than last year. You can see with Benson Mayoa doing well. You can see with the blitzing of uh, Jamal Adams, and the Seahawks are blitzing like about 35%, 36% of the time right now. Uh, but, the, you know, the key is at some point seeing to, to get back to the point where they can just rush four and have seven guys handling all the other things. And, of course, the big news today is the word from Adam Schell. That Damon Snacks Harrison was contemplating retirement, but now he is going to want to play football. And so next week looks like he's going to try to sign someplace, but his first stop is going to be here, which I think is natural because, you know, he's going gone. Condre Diggs a former teammate here, Luke Wilson, you know, you've got uh, Nick Bellore and all that. And I think they'll talk up about the idea. This is a good place to play because Damon did not like what was going on with Matt Patricia back in Detroit to a point where even in training camp, he just started kind of giving up a little bit bit and not really working as hard and eating a little bit too much and all that stuff. But he's 31 years old. He's got interest from the bears because, you know, Eddie Goldman uh, had to go on the opt out program, the Bengals who have injuries on the defensive line and the green Bay Packers, you know, who, uh, you know, got Kenny Clark on injured reserve right now. So I think the snacks has enough left in the tank. You know, again, the run stopping for the Seahawks has been pretty good in the first two games and he would even make it better. So see if snacks can come in and, you know, we want uh, Russell Wilson to cook, and maybe he can cook him something so that the uh, snacks can get some food.
0: Number four.
2: You can start with their offense. Uh, I mean, I, I think Russell's playing
3: uh, at a tremendous level uh, these first two weeks. Um, you know, obviously his numbers are off the chart, but you know he's al- he's always played with such great command and, and, and poise, and you know his ability to extend plays you know, uh, to, to get to get the ball distributed to. You know, to, all, to all those perimeter players, I, I, you know, I think you're seeing a, a, you know, a veteran, highly successful quarterback playing at just a, an outstanding level right now.
2: So that's Mike McCarthy talking about Russell Wilson and the big game coming up on Sunday, Seattle and Dallas. And boy, Dallas almost as beat up as San Francisco. Uh, they've got so many things. Demarcus Lawrence is fighting through a knee injury. Uh, He's just now doing a little bit more in practice. Tyron Smith, the left tackle, he still has a neck injury. Did not practice yesterday. And then, of course, the big one is that they're missing... Two linebackers because they're on injured reserve, Sean Lee and Leighton Vanderesh. Then you look at the secondary and it's just an absolute mess. Trayvon diggs, a draft choice. He has a shoulder injury, so he didn't practice yesterday. Jadovia woozy hamstring injury, he's on injured reserve. Anthony Brown suffered a rib injury last week in practice. He went on injured reserve on Saturday. So uh this is one where the Seahawks should try to take advantage of the three cornerbacks that are down, the two linebackers that are down, and the defensive line. And it's interesting because you know the talk was that uh, you know Everson Griffin should have come here to Seattle, and that he's now down in Dallas. And you know you can look and see that uh, Alden Smith was pretty good acquisition, but you know the pass rush on stats is worse in Dallas, believe it or not, than it is in Seattle because Seattle has three sacks, Dallas has two sacks. Dal- Dallas has less pressures right now than uh, what's going on with Seattle. They're using a little bit more of a hybrid type of defense with uh, 3-4 and 4-3 looks overall. But, uh, you know, a game that's pretty well could be a high scoring because of the defenses.
0: Number five.
1: I'll take the Jags. Uh, The Jags, like, kind of quietly have a really good receiving core. Conley and, and Keenan Cole and DJ Chark. But two things that I'm excited to watch and for America to see is Laviska Chenault, their rookie out of Colorado, they use him in a ton of different ways. He is an incredible player. But then also Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew is legit. He is for real. Watch how fast the ball comes out of his hands. He's really smart. So the quarterback play with those skill receivers on the outside, I think is going to be too much for Miami.
2: Yeah, I think I would agree with that. And Jacksonville being probably one of the surprise teams, you know, getting the win to open the season against Indianapolis. Dolphins remain a disappointment. They're off to an 0-2 start, but Gardner Minshew looking for real. He's thrown touchdown, three touchdown passes in each of the first two games so far, and uh, he's so far exceeded all expectations, and the fact that if he can come out of this with a 2-1 record, that's going to go. The big thing that he has to do is cut down on some of the turnovers, And because again, on defense, they still have a lot of issues. Still wondering how long it's going to take Tua to be able to come and start. I'd still say it's probably going to be closer to midseason, but uh, Thursday night football tonight night. Jaguars going against the Miami Dolphins. Uh, It's going to be on the NFL Network. Didn't make uh, the, uh, the main network at Fox, but still uh, should be an interesting game, Jags and Dolphins. Hey, you can listen to the show in the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go under further review and talk about Brian Schottenheimer's move to the booth upstairs as opposed to being on the field. Is that helping? Is it working? Uh, so far, you'd have to say yes. We'll get into that next. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. <laughs> Under further review with John
0: Clayton.
3: We'll review the play. Well, this is
2: year three for Brian Schottenheimer as the offensive coordinator and clearly... Uh, the best start that he's had. I still remember the struggles in the first two games that he was the coordinator, and uh, so much of it was the fact that he believed so much in Russell Wilson because of the talent that was there. He called more passes than runs, and they eventually uh, moved that around. And then pretty much, you know, for the next, uh, what, for the regular season, I guess you can say, the next 30 games, they pretty much stayed more the running team. Well, this year they've been able to break things open and uh, try to be more creative, try to give Russell Wilson a little chance to do more things early in games, which I think that's a good thing. And so overall, you can see how well it's working because even the odds makers in Vegas is saying that Russell's playing at such a high level with the offense that he's the leading candidate to be the MVP. Well, one change aside from the fact that the strategy is a little bit more favorable to let Russ cook is that uh, you know they've now got Brian Schottenheimer moving into the booth upstairs as opposed to on the field. And so I know that uh, Jay Keeps was on yesterday with Tom, Jake, and Stacey and talked about how that move really has made a difference for the offense.
0: I think there's a couple different reasons for it. One, I think it allows Brian Schottenheimer to sit back and have a little bit of perspective in terms of there's just a different viewpoint, uh, clearly, from being on the field and then being in the booth. And when you're able to sit up top, Uh, you're able to see everything. Uh, And and oftentimes when you're on the sideline, you're relying on information that's being traveled to you from guys up in the booth. Hey, Mm -hmm. what are they doing? What does it look like? You know, what kind of personnel groupings? He can see it all from up there. And then also, now that he's in year three, there's something to be said about the fact that like, hey, Russell's got this offensively. I don't need to be down there. I don't need to try and keep everybody calm. Everybody's got a good sense of who they are and what we're about. Um, And I think it also allows him to be able to think a little bit more. I mean, when I've been on the sideline, Pete Carroll, people don't really know this about Pete Carroll, but, like, he's, in terms of a head coach on game day, he's not the most stoic guy. He's fiery. (laughs) He's energetic. But he's also, and that might come to a shock, but... And I'm kidding there. But also when it comes to game planning and decision-making through the course of a game, he's not, like, quiet. He is, he is going to be in the coach's ear. He's going to, you know, be wanting to be a part of the conversation. And sometimes it's a good thing, and oftentimes it's not necessarily the best thing because uh, you have an offensive coordinator who's trying to call plays – And yet you've got somebody in your ear at the same time. So I think that it's been a healthy thing for Brian to uh, be removed from that situation and Schottenheimer to have the chance to, you know, really just see things and, and take things at his pace. And it's clearly been working.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And I think that is a good move. And I'm going to be curious to see, you know, with what's happening this year, because, you know, when you have the pandemic the way it is, a lot of things change. Like, for example, in the country, you you now see that now it's not too bad to work from home. And so more people are going to be working from home. And what I'm going to be curious of, particularly, you know, now that everybody's forced, uh, particularly the head coaches and the coaches to wear masks, that uh, maybe it's easier to communicate if you're up in the press box or up in the coaches' box, trying to communicate and see things. And I just wonder, would that vantage point be to a point where more of the regular offensive coordinators get a chance to do it from the uh, coaches box? Now, of course, they can't do... You can't do too many of that moves, and the reason being is that you've got about, what, 14, 15 head coaches that are calling plays, and they are going to be on the field. And so they are offensive head coaches that, uh, you know, they obviously can't go into the booth. They won't won't happen. But when you're talking about the 17 or so offensive coordinators like Brian Schottenheimer to see if they're going to be in the booth or not, you know, again, there's always that preference to be on the field because you can actually go ahead and. Talk face to face during the breaks uh, when you got the defense on the field with the quarterbacks. But I think that what it does, it gives a better vision, and of course, then you know uh, you can see Brian. You know, one again, he's given. Russell more chances to audible than uh, he's had in the past to change to play and move yeah. things around, but I think that good vision is there, and I think that can help. So overall, I like that uh, style right now, and I don't think it's a bad idea for uh, you know the coaches. I know some defensive coaches uh, like it in the coaching booth more than anything else, and I know boy Howdy is, is boy Howdy right. with this, right? Yeah,
4: I am. Yeah, and it's interesting to hear this conversation. Uh, I hadn't considered any of the impacts of this in terms of how good it would be for offensive coordinators to be up on the field but or up in the booth. But Brock and Salk actually talked about this quite a bit during their uh, podcast this, this week. Um, and Brock was saying a lot of the same things with Jake, that for some of these coordinators, it's really helpful to get removed from some of the passion. Remember, there was a series last season where they had made this huge play, and it sounded like Pete and the coaches were so excited about this big play, they didn't get the next play in in time, and they had to call a timeout or they had a false start. Moved him back from the one to the six, and it created all these problems. Being removed from some of that instant reaction emotion. I think might be helpful for some offensive coordinators who really just have to focus on what's the next thing we're going to do. How mm-hmm. are we going to capitalize on this moment, John? Do you think this is going to be a trend that we see more and more in the league? I know a lot of these coaches like to be on the sidelines.
2: Yeah, I know, and I think that, well, particularly, too, if you want to be a head coach, because if you're spotted on the sidelines, yes. uh, you know, you're know, you you're now you know getting that next look to be the uh, next head coach Great that point. gets hired, and everybody's looking at offensive coaches more than they are defensive coaches because it's an offense-driven league right now. But, no, I think it's something... In fact, one of the uh, one of the things i got to start to do now is, you know, look at the 17 teams, the other 16 teams, the other half of the league, to see how many guys are in the booth and how many are not as far as offensive coordinators, because I, I think it's a good idea. And I think you can see that uh, with Jake, who knows Russell so well, from they work together uh, pretty much on a daily basis or uh, all oh, week, right. that, uh, you know, he, he probably senses that he likes it, Russell, uh, because, you know, I think it actually enhances the communication,
4: Yeah, I agree with that. And you know what's interesting is just a, you know, is it better to see the field from the booth or not? How often do coaches break down film from sideline cameras, John? (laughs) (laughs) When they're breaking down film, they're breaking it down from the top. And why is that? Because you can see things better. And things just make more sense. And if the offensive coordinator has a direct line into the quarterback's helmet when he's seeing the field for a certain amount of time when the play's not on, that's just got to be a benefit, John. I don't see a lot of benefit for a coach to be on the sidelines. An offensive coordinator... Unless it is for that sort of personal, like I'd like to be seen more on TV and talked about more, so I like this for Brian Schottenheimer. I'm glad they're doing it.
2: You know, you know who probably liked it the best, uh, even though it, it was a bad start for this team. I think Jason Garrett, because uh, mm. Joe Judge is the head coach of the New York Giants, and they had more shots of, uh, particularly in the uh, Sunday, Monday night game that opened a season up. Uh, they had more shots of Jason Garrett than they did, uh, you know, with uh, you know the head coach Joe Judge, which probably isn't a bad idea. Because Garrett had been in New York and all, a good portion of his life before you know getting down to Dallas as a quarterback and all that stuff, but I thought that 's kind of interesting
4: that stood out, John that absolutely stood out to me and i it, now that you say that, it makes so much sense why some of these coordinators may do, may want to be on the field. But I don't know that it's necessarily better for the team. So good on shotty
2: Yeah. I mean, like you wonder about a guy. There's a lot of people right now talking about Arthur Smith, the uh, Tennessee offensive coordinator. Mm. And so you kind of wonder, you know, is, is he going to be a booth guy or is he going to get down in the field? Because, again, start to be recognized because, you know, uh, nobody knows what he looks like right now. And, you know, I know that nobody knew what Joe Judge looked like before he got the <laughs> New York Giants job. But <laughs> right now you may not be looking at him too long because he's off to a terrible start. Oof.
4: Yeah, not good, John.
2: Nope, not good at all. Hey, by the way, uh, you can uh, tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or your app. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Danny Kelly of The Ringer, getting a little bit of a summation of the first two weeks of the regular season. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.
0: It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio.
2: Two hours, every day, 10 to
0: noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app.
2: Well, i tell you, it's been a crazy start to the football season, two games in, a lot of offense, a lot of injuries, a lot of changes as far as who's, which teams are good, which teams are not. And so uh, let's kind of get up on the trends and we check in as we do on uh, Schooled with the Professor with uh, the chance to catch Danny Kelly of The Ringer. Of course, starting the season strong as the NFC West, which you know going in, arguably people thought it was going to be the best division in football, and now it even looks better despite the San Francisco injury bug. But uh, seven yeah. and one start is uh, there's only one other time since they went to the eight division format, and that was 2002 when the AFC West started out at a seven and one pace. Kind of sum up what you're seeing on the uh, seven and one start of the NFC West and where it's heading.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know with with Arizona, we're seeing uh, what looks like a nice jump from Kyler Murray. You know, he's he's always been a very explosive and elusive runner, but I think he's showing some things as the pass for their offense is evolving, and obviously it helps a lot to have um, DeAndre Hopkins as his number one receiver now. that's That's been huge for him. Um, so, you know, I think that Arizona is going to be, you know, long-term, they're going to be really good in, in this season. I think they're going to be competitive in the division. Um, I came into the season thinking the Rams were going to bounce back. So um, it's kind of been fun to see how their offense has rebounded last year. They had so many injuries on the offensive line. It was just such a huge problem for them that they couldn't really get over until late in the season. They kind of figured it out later in the season. But, you know, early on in the season, it just was a huge, huge issue for them. This year, it seems like that offense is kind of not necessarily back to the level they were in 2018, but they're, you know, clicking, it seems like Sean McVay kind of has his mojo back in terms of play calling doing a ton of that, you know, uh, pre-snap motion and deception and, and all that stuff that, that kind of like is the foundation of their offense. So they've looked really good to me. They have some defensive superstars. I think the Rams are going to be a, uh, a playoff contender. And then, you know, the Seahawks, I've, I've always seen them as a 10 plus win team, even coming into the season, but the way that Russell Wilson is playing that right now and how, you know, dialed in he is, um, you know, again they are another I think of a, 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 what looks like a really good playoff team too so it's crazy that the 49ers are like sort of the odd man out here you know they're mostly due to injury honestly like their injury situation is just snowballed on them and so um, it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of keep afloat over the next few weeks they got a pretty easy schedule over the next few weeks and if they can get some guys back healthy but um the injury situation has a chance to kind of like sink, sink their hopes in a really, really tough division.
2: Yeah. Again, I I, I thought the Rams were going to drop off and I'd look to be wrong on that one. And again, I'm pleased because they're kind of a fun team to watch, but uh, what what you're looking at is, okay, you got Aaron Donald, you have Jalen Ramsey and you have Michael Brockers, but does anybody even know any of the other eight starters on defense? (laughs) It's like, I don't know who they are.
1: Yeah. it's, It's, you hear their names like they're starting to be more household names you know but like for the most part i absolutely agree with you like i I hadn't really heard about these guys like their safety john johnson maybe it's just because his name is so like generic that you just kind of forget about him but he's been good um they have rookie safety jordan fuller who i think has played pretty well they also have taylor rapp who's um, you know, second-year guy that I think is promising for them. But, yeah, it, it's a bunch of young kind of unknown guys that are playing big roles for them, and we'll see if they can continue to play at a high level. But I think when you have the foundation of Aaron Donald in the front Jalen Ramsey in the back, um, that gives you the opportunity to kind of fill in with some role players and still be okay. They just need to be average. If the, if the offense can be really good, I think the defense, even if it's just average, the, that team can compete.
2: In the injury situation was very predictable uh, because you saw back in two thousand and eleven that uh, with no off season program injuries spiked forty four percent increase in hamstring injuries double the achilles tendon tears and more than fifty ACL tears uh, s- uh, this week too was the worst I can ever remember as far as the injuries you know seven ACL tears. Uh, an Achilles tear, lots of other big injuries to a point where I could see as many as 25 to 30 starters not being able to make it back from week two to week three. But this was predictable.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we talked about it before. I I was expecting a lot of soft tissue injuries. It's the ACLs and things like that. It's just kind of, I don't know if it's a bad coincidence or if it's somehow related to you know, all these guys just having to ramp up so quickly. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely really tough, especially such star players. You know, you got Nick Bosa, uh, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey. These are, you know, big pieces for their teams, just potentially losing. You know, obviously, Bosa's out for the year. Barkley's out for the year. McCaffrey's out for at least a month probably. And, you know, there's a bunch of other names in there that um, maybe not quite as well-known, but obviously big impact injuries. So I was, you know, I was expecting more soft injuries. Soft tissue injuries that could kind of keep guys sidelined, but these season enders are just really tough
2: to see. Yeah, but again, uh, particularly week one, there was a rash of hamstring injuries. Uh, mm-hmm. About uh, well, I know at least uh, twelve that knocked out starters, and that was that was huge. And a bunch of guys that toward the end of camp got hamstring injuries, and so there was there, there's plenty of soft tissue injuries, and I, I hate to say there's probably going to be many more coming up this weekend.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it's just. It's, these these players are like high level players and, and we, they basically had no ramp up here. You know they had like fourteen padded practices or something like that. Typically they're working out all summer, you know OTAs and, and things like that and training camp. And so, yeah, that's the reason that we have training camps. The reason the NFL makes it such a big deal. Um, and I think that you know obviously it's out of their control, but that's the reason that we're seeing so many of these. And I like you said, I expect more, you know, over the next few weeks here
2: two surprises uh, that I didn't expect uh, Jacksonville getting the win over Indianapolis and then coming yeah. back and staying pretty even in a three point loss to Tennessee and then Cincinnati you know a team that uh, was going with Joe Burrow and Burrow coming out in week two getting 37 to 61 completions you know that caught me cold another one that surprised me because of the strange story with the Chargers because apparently uh, the team doctor you know gave a rib injection to Tyrod Taylor and and he ended up uh, busting his lung, and so now yeah. Justin Herbert comes out and he plays even with Patrick Mahomes.
1: <laughs> I know that was that was I think the biggest surprise because I was expecting big things from Burrow. I thought, you know, I, I thought he would hit the ground running. He's just that kind of player. He's so confident and, and so accurate. I kind of thought that we would see that. I, I was not expecting that from Herbert. I thought he was more of like maybe a two-year project. You see him in his second year, he starts to you know get a little bit better, but he came out. And I want to say he threw for like the third or the fourth most yards of any rookie making his debut. So obviously that's pretty good. And especially going up against the defending champs, there was a few throws I went back and watched last night. There's a few throws he, he missed and, you know, he was not mistake free, but I think overall you actually feel really good about how he played. If you're the chargers and the way that he was able to get Keenan Allen involved, the way that he was able to get, Austin Eckler involved in the passing game a little bit more I think those things are so important because those are your best players you want to get your best players doing what they do best and you know I didn't really feel that Tyrod Taylor was doing that in week one so you know with Taylor out it sounds like they're potentially going to be out for a few weeks we heard indefinitely this morning from Adam Schefter so I don't know what that means but um, it sounds like Herbert's going to get a chance to kind of go in there again and um, I'm expecting him to be up and down you know he's, he's getting I think they play the Panthers this week so that's an easy matchup in terms of defense but um, going forward they have a couple of tough like teams on their schedule so I'm expecting him to be up and down but overall I was very impressed with what he did and, and you know especially considering he didn't practice all week or at least didn't practice with the first team all week he wasn't really expecting to start.
2: Yeah, finally, a quick one here. Kansas City plays Baltimore this week. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, Patrick Mahomes is still getting rated as the best quarterback in football. Kansas City may be the best team. But he's had to bring this team from behind double-digit games six consecutive weeks. There's six consecutive right. games going back to last year. And here's Lamar Jackson in Baltimore just absolutely pummeling any team that they face. <laughs> what do you see yeah. happening?
1: Uh, you know, I... I'm leaning the Ravens in this one. I actually I, I did I do the power rankings for for the Ringer and I I just moved Baltimore up to number one. I had KC number one before, but man, they just look to me like they're coasting at this point. You know, like you said, they just they just can dominate teams in a way that few other teams can do it. And, you know, they have such a dominant run uh, run game. They have such a developing, emerging, explosive passing offense with Lamar Jackson. Their defense is really good. Their special teams are elite. So. They just have so many ways to beat you. Um, it's one of those things where it feels like if Baltimore's going to lose, they have to kind of like have multiple things go wrong. It's uh, They have a lot of built-in redundancy to be like a really competitive team every single game. And So if they're going to lose, a lot of things have to go wrong. Now, the Chiefs have a way of doing that to teams. So I think this is going to be a really fun fun game. If Mahomes gets cooking and gets, gets in the flow of the, of the offense earlier in this game, he, he, he was a little bit slow to start last week. Um, But if he can get going a little earlier, that'll give him a much better chance against this Baltimore team who can control the game really, you know, by running the ball and playing really good defense and, and, you know, asking Lamar Jackson to just kind of take a few deep shots here and there. And they can really control the clock and the game.
2: And that's of course uh, from the Ringer, Danny Kelly, and you can hear the full version of this on Schooled with the Professor. You can catch up on any any outlet right now. And it's going to be out there on the podcast, Schooled with the Professor. Hey, and be sure to check out the professor's notes on 710Sports.com. The professor's notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at five. Coming up next, we're going to catch you up to down and what's going on in the National Football League with the boy Howdy. And we'll chat about so many different things. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.
0: John Clayton,
2: powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios,
0: on demand with a 710 Seattle Sports app.
2: Well, uh, boy, howdy uh, with us today. And of course, uh, they did have the inspection of the MetLife Stadium uh, turf. They had Players Association people, they had league people. And after a, a whole day of looking at the turf, they determined that it met NFL standards, is okay, which of course does not help the. Uh, for uh, San Francisco 49ers, oh. who lost uh, two defensive linemen, Nick Boza and Solomon Thomas, to uh, ACL tears, and you know Jimmy Garoppolo to uh, a, a high ankle sprain, Rasheem Mozart, and uh, Talvin Coleman, two running backs to knee injuries. Didn't help them out, but of course, looks like they're clean.
4: You know, John, I have to go back and regrade myself for the report card for this story. I'm going to give myself an F, because what was I thinking? The 49ers are trying to blame their situation on somebody else. Come on. like Their field is not something that you should write home about either. They're one of the serial offenders in terms of how terrible their field is because they can't figure out their own grass. So I don't have a lot of sympathy for this uh, organization in total. I have plenty of sympathy for the guys who actually got injured because it's awful that their careers are going to be impacted by this. Their seasons are going to be impacted by this. In the future, it's potential financial ramifications of all this. So I have a lot of sympathy for those guys. But that team... Come on, it's almost in some ways karmic, the way that their field has absolutely trashed other players in the past – for them to go out and blame somebody else's field for their own problems.
2: Yeah, and it's kind of interesting that that's exactly what they tried to do. And, uh, you know, it, it just, uh, you know, you, 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 you don't have... I guess you have. To, you still have to have sympathy for them because these are serious injuries. Yeah,
4: now. they are. They're huge to key players. I mean, the fact that that many key players in on one team go down with leg injuries is really, really tough. It's going to be debilitating for them. I don't know if they have enough depth on their roster to even really come back from that and sustain a high level of play. But I I just... I have a hard time feeling really sad and really bad for the 49ers, specifically on this field thing, because of the way they treat their own field.
2: Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's a it's a it was a fascinating thing that they tried to do. And, of course, again, again you know, like anything else, but what's going to be worse about this, this is going to be in the back of their heads. I know, for example, a mm-hmm. couple of the defensive players said that, that uh, they're going to be thinking about it. And sometimes when you think a little bit too much, you end up getting more injuries.
4: Right. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, you have to be able to play and cut loose the way that you always have. That's what makes you a great elite athlete. When you start adding layers of things you have to worry about, I wouldn't know. I'm not an elite athlete, but I've been told that it's just its not the same. You start thinking and playing differently because you add things you just shouldn't be considering. That worry factor, it plays, it plays a factor, and it makes a difference.
2: Oh, yeah, no doubt. So that's going to be interesting to see and see how they come out of it. But, boy, again, the injury situation in the National Football League, just absolutely devastating. And of course, uh, you know, Seattle trying to bounce back from losing two key guys on defense, Bruce Irvin, the starting uh, out strong side linebacker with an ACL tear and a Leo pass rusher. And the guy that emerged as their best slot cornerback, uh, Marquise Blair, but, uh, you know, they'll, they'll make some moves. What were your thoughts when you heard this morning that, uh, according to Adam Schefter, Damon snacks, Harrison is going to make his first visit of four possible cities. And if I'm Seattle, And as long as he's in good shape and passes the physicals and everything else, I wouldn't let him out. Oh, John,
4: I was so hyped up about the fact that Damon Snacks Harrison and his 360 to 420-pound body could be coming in here to play defensive tackle. I, all offseason long, had hoped that that was the guy. Like somebody you could truly lean on to say, this guy's not getting moved, he's played at a high level, and he could just sit there and swallow up the middle of the field. I think that would be huge for this team and if he truly is okay with playing and excited to play I would be I would be stoked John I don't even know if there's another defensive tackle available like a, a a, a legitimate defensive tackle they wouldn't have to give up a first round pick for that i 'd be more excited about than snacks. What about you?
2: yeah, because again, I, I think he's the best one to go now. Marcel Darius could be a consideration mm-hmm. too former first round pick he'd been to the pro Bowl and all that stuff, but again, you know run stopping is something that they really wanted to emphasize, and that 's why you know he 's really good at run stopping. I mean he became the first nine million dollar two down defensive tackle when he got his deal uh in in New York. And uh, as long as he is in good shape, which of course is going to be a big question mark because you don't know what kind of shape he is, I think it's a I think it's a potential great addition.
4: John, I don't know what your little birds tell you about this sort of thing, but do you think the Seahawks are serious about their interest in him?
2: Oh God. well, let's put it this way: <laughs> yes. Are you kidding? I mean, you know, they've been waiting for somebody, whether it was going to be Clay Matthews, whether it was going to be Damon Snacks Harrison. I don't know where they stood on uh, Marcel Darius. And I don't know because you know, you know, here is Damon and you figured you're now three weeks into the season and he hasn't done anything. So you figure, okay, he's going to be, you know, one of the many defensive tackles and offensive linemen that decided to opt out of this season. Mm-hmm. But no, I think that uh, this is one that I think is huge and there's no question that they want him.
4: So, as the professor, John, I'd love for you to play this forward for me. So, let's assume, let's just play this scenario. Damon Snacks-Harrison signs with the Seahawks at some point in time in the next five days. I'd hope it's soon, but he signs soon. He sits out the next week because he's just not ready. He's been sitting on a couch. And let's assume he comes back and he's just a small step backwards from where he was last year, right? That's reasonable considering he's missed so much time. What sort of impact does a small step back of Damon Snacks-Harrison make on the Seahawks' defensive line?
2: Well, it gives them a great three-man rotation at defensive tackle because now you have Puna Ford, who's off to a real good start this year, Jaron Reed, an $11.5 million defensive tackle. That that looks good. <clears throat> and you have him coming off the bench. And, and you know, through the years, John Snyder has always been able to fill out what Pete Carroll has wanted from one of those big run-stopping defensive tackles. You know, they've always been able to find one. And, of course, uh, you know, they've got two young ones right now in Reed and Ford. But they've also saved something for those veterans, you know, 31-year-old veterans that uh, can come in and do it. And so I think that that would be a great addition. Now, what's the price going to be? And I don't know, did you see the deal on Devontae Freeman how stupid
4: he was. Yikes. Yeah, you talked about this yesterday. It's not, uh, it's no, not it, all it's cracked it, it, up be. And to it me, was huh? even
2: worse. He basically signed just a little bit over the minimum salary. <sighs> You know, Mm. because, again, like anything else, when you do a bad contract or you got your your client gets beat up, you always come back as an agent and you say, okay, he can get a deal that can make up to three million dollars or he can make a deal that can get up to this. Well, he ended up getting one point three five million dollars and another one point five in incentives. Mm. And of course, you know, incentives that sometimes might be hard to get. And so he basically cost himself one point seven million dollars.
4: Wow. That's a huge swing. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I think that there are some players during this off season they just they couldn't come to grips with the fact that the league was going to operate a little differently in free agency. Don't you
2: think? Oh yeah, no doubt. It's like okay, uh, you know, you want to get your price tag, but like for example, you look at the Jadavie Clowney. You know, he was he was wanting twenty plus million dollars, and uh, that just wasn't going to be in the cards. The highest paid uh, defensive player. Uh, got 16.5 million, and that's Byron Jones. And there was only seven or eight players that overall in unrestricted free agency got over uh, $13 million a year. Mm. That just wasn't going to be in the cards because now what everybody realizes, and we're talking non-quarterbacks. I mean, the quarterbacks got their $21, $25 million or more, so excluding the quarterbacks. But again, it's like you want a top defensive player. Normally what ends up happening, you overpay them. And what happens when you get to the third year of the contract, when there's no guarantees-based salaries, you let the guy go.
4: Yeah. It it was a tough offseason, and I— in some ways, I feel for some of those guys that didn't quite understand how things were going to change. But man, you got to trust the people that you hire, right?
2: Yeah. Oh, no doubt, and they—that's what they uh, didn't do. And of course, I mean, you know, he—I I, my guess is is that uh, Freeman was upset getting cut by the Atlanta Falcons, you know, because uh, you know he ended up uh, getting. What uh, Todd Gurley got 5.5 million, and so my guess is the Falcons just wanted to move on and get a different type of back, and so now he's thinking, well, I should be an eight million dollar uh, running back. Mm. Well, guess what? You didn't get the eight million, and now you got 1.35, and you could have had three million here. But honestly, in the big picture, I think Seattle came out better because Carlos Hyde is a more physical bat that I think that fits this offense better.
4: It's a great point, John. Absolutely, I totally agree.
2: Yeah, so I think they're in they're in good shape there. So coming back now, we're going to catch up with Michael Bumpus and talk about Damon Snacks, Harrison, and more. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.